Welcome to MCS Pentecost, Pentecostal podcasts about theology and life in the Spirit. MCS Pentecosts are produced by Masters Pentecostal Seminary in Ontario, Canada. I'm Peter Newman, Academic Dean of Masters College. This particular Pentecost is about New Testament pneumatology. In other words, what the New Testament has to say about the Holy Spirit. My guest to talk about the Spirit in the New Testament is Dr. Blaine Charette, born and raised in Calgary, Alberta. But he has spent the majority of his academic career in the United States. For the last 20 years, he has been teaching New Testament at Northwest University in Seattle, Washington. But he's here in Toronto this week teaching New Testament pneumatology for Master's Pentecostal Seminary. And because the seminary is partnered with Tyndale, we're actually in a Tyndale classroom. It's one of our traditions at the graduate level that uh, for for students who find it hard to come week by week, we'll offer these one-week intensive classes. We'll bring an expert in from somewhere around North America. And we'll do the same thing in the spring and summer. And so this week, uh, Dr. Shred has been here teaching us about how the, how the Holy Spirit is portrayed for us in the New Testament. It's the final afternoon of the class. These students who are here in front of us have been here for five days, and it's the final afternoon. The date is January the 9th, 2015. So we're ready. Blaine, great, uh, great to have you. Thanks for agreeing to do this. Uh, appreciate it very much. Good to be here. Okay, so let, let's start with uh, something uh, simple. Is it, is it better to say there is a New Testament pneumatology, or is it better to say there are New Testament pneumatologies? In other words, is there just one view of the Spirit in the New Testament? Yes, yeah, so what we find, what we would expect in Scripture since, <clears throat> excuse me, what we would expect in Scripture since scripture, the spirit uses multiple authors, is we do find a diversity of perspective when it comes to the spirit, um, which enriches, enriches our understanding of the spirit. So one thing we've been exploring this week in the class is sort of how the, <clears throat> you know, the major voices with respect to the spirit. So we've looked at you know, certain things Matthew has to say, certain things that Luke has to say, what Paul has to say, John has to say, you know, those would be the major voices after the New Testament. And um, they're coming at the issue. There's a coherence. So there's a, a unified perspective on one level. But then within that coherence, there are these diverse voices. And they, they use different themes. They'll use different metaphors. They will do, use different symbols to explain the meaning of the Spirit. Okay. Let me uh, give you a chance to... Grab a gulp of water. Um, okay, so um, these are not contradictory views of the Spirit. Different voices, but complementary, right? Yeah. Okay, so let's, let's start with Matthew, because I know you did your doctoral work in Matthew. In fact, uh, there's a published work, let me name it for you. Uh, Restoring Presence, the Spirit in Matthew's Gospel. You know, we tend to think of the pneumatology of Luke and Paul, and I'll ask you about that later. But a pneumatology, a distinctive contribution in Matthew? What, what does Matthew have to say to us about the Spirit? 
Yeah, Matthew tended to be overlooked, which was part of the reason why I wrote that book in the first place. To First, I was curious just to see if, in fact, there was sort of a meaningful message there in Matthew's Gospel. And the more I probed into it, the more I recognized that Matthew does have much to say about the Spirit. And so, um, and the more further I got into that study, the more it confirmed to me that Matthew does... Um, have much to say that, that again offers us a slightly different, more new, a different nuanced perspective on the spirit than what we would find in, say, Luke or in John. Okay, so the title of the book, Restoring Presence. Yeah. What, what, what's the work of the spirit here? So, what I think would be uh, most pronounced in Matthew is part of Matthew's overall theme, anyways, is to show that what's happening through Jesus' work is the restoration of Israel back into covenant relationship with mm-hmm. God. But not just Israel, but ultimately all peoples. Okay. 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 So he's picking up on that idea. And since the Spirit is so much connected to presence, the presence of God, especially as far as the Old Testament backdrop for Matthew's thinking, mm-hmm. it's an opportunity to see that in Jesus, in as much as he is God with us, he is this temple, you know, he's this one greater than the temple. A lot of aspects associated with the spirit are incorporated into kind of the Christology that you would find in Matthew. The work of Jesus very much dovetails with the eschatological work of the spirit, that kind of thing. Okay. Now, Matthew's known for having one of these simple formulas for how you make things right with somebody that's at odds with you. Does does the work of the Spirit, the restoring presence, does that figure into, into how you see uh, Matthean pneumatology? Is that part of it? Yeah, because really, the, as Matthew would understand it, the, the, the spirit in, you know, that Spirit that comes upon him at his baptism, that Spirit that anoints him, is that Spirit that is then, through Jesus, bringing about this restoring, not just Israel back to proper relationship with God, but all peoples. Okay. Back to uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. Very good. Well, that's very helpful. Okay. I uh, see on the uh, the whiteboard behind me, you're you're dealing with um, John's contribution, and we're not trying to give away the course. These students who are sitting here have paid a pretty penny for this course, mm-hmm. so we're not trying to give this away free. So l- l- let me come back to uh, what I always think is the big two in terms of New Testament voices for pneumatology. Luke, of course, very significant for Pentecostals, Luke-Acts. And uh, Paul, very significant for uh, the broader evangelical world. Uh, we, we often hear about their differences. Can you give us a little idea? Can you characterize for us um, in short form? What's Luke's contribution? What's, what's Paul's contribution? Well, I think Luke... Luke connects the spirit much more with power. And so even think of you know, Acts 1 8, you will receive power when the spirit comes upon you, and power to this end of what? Bearing witness to Jesus. Within Pentecostalism, I think our pneumatology within Pentecostalism has been mainly informed by that Lucan perspective. Yeah, yeah. So think of Pente- you know, Pentecostalism as being an evangelistic movement, a missions movement. Right. It's not that surprising that we would be attracted to that that aspect of mm-hmm. New Testament thought on the spirit. And so, but there again, I think oftentimes at the, by the same token, Pentecostals perhaps because they're so drawn to acts, 
in some respects that has perhaps resulted in a certain impoverished understanding of the spirit in as much as we haven't kind of filled that out with these other voices which we talked about just a moment ago. So I think I think sometimes the because uh, I think sometimes what happens is a certain flat reading where we we know what Luke says about the spirit or at least we know certain aspects of what Luke says about the spirit and we kind of assume that's maybe just kind of the Lucan variation on the same theme that you may be finding other voices, not realizing that there are other things about the spirit that these other voices are contributing. When we turn okay. to Paul, Paul's more interested in the uh, work of the spirit and say in, in, in regeneration and becoming a Christian, incorporation into Christ, incorporation into the body of Christ, that, uh, that kind of thing. And so, um, and then Paul would also be perhaps more interested than Luke is in on the sanctifying aspects of the spirit. Kind okay. of so the which to the extent that Pentecostalism grew out of the holiness movement, we do tap into I think when it comes to talking about sanctification, we we do can tend to then move more into Paul. So we right. we, okay. we we touch on Paul's views of the role of the spirit in process in which we become more holy. Okay, so this is uh, a Pentecost, and we're looking at this from the Pentecostal tradition. Yeah. So let, let me take seriously your remark that those who are only schooled in Luke's view of the Spirit, empowerment, and of course the traditional Pentecostal understanding that you have not received the Spirit in this way, you've not received the baptism of the Spirit that Luke speaks about until you have had the similar experience to those 120. So baptized, the Spirit comes upon, you begin to speak in tongues. With that, with that sort of singular view that many Pentecostals have, sometimes I hear Pentecostals saying that somebody who has not been baptized in the Spirit in the way we've just described mm-hmm. doesn't have the Spirit. Yeah. And, of course, here we are in Tyndale, so we, we are part of a, a larger seminary here. Uh, that doesn't fly very well in a classroom if a Pentecostal student says, well, I'm not sure the rest of you have the spirit at all. Should, should a Pentecostal be saying that? No, because, I mean, for Paul, it would be impossible to be a Christian and not have the spirit. Okay. And same thing with, with John. What would define a person who is born of God is that the Spirit of God is now with them. So, and, and even with Luke, I don't think that would even be a proper understanding of Luke's theology. Yeah, okay. Because, um, so, it would be, for, for Luke, Luke wants to see that one aspect of the Spirit, that, that the Spirit that is, that comes upon the person for the purpose of empowerment for witness, that's, that is a major part of what Luke's interested in, especially in the book of Acts. But then we see other manifestations of how the spirit functions in the book of Acts, how that witness goes forth. So that witness goes forth in part through what this community that's created, a community that's characterized by unity, a community characterized by generosity. So for Luke, that's part of the work of the spirit. Right. And, um, and likewise, in other words, there's more than just kind of verbal witness and that type of thing that in Luke's theology, there's much more than that that becomes a testament to the Spirit's operation within the life of the church. 
Right, okay. So as I'm listening to you, and I just have one, uh, one other major question I want to ask you, but just before we get to that. So I'm listening to you. You're trying to give us the idea of the primary emphases of Luke, who's writing to try to motivate the church to continue its witness, as opposed to Paul's pastoral letters, yeah. speaking to them about how the Spirit works amongst them, making them a community. Mm-hmm. Okay, so all that's good. But a couple times you've been suggesting, but these, but these lines aren't hard and fast. No. So you've got primary emphases, but you've got other emphases. Uh, I'm just thinking of uh, Paul's Paul's um, summary of the nature of his mission when he's writing to the Romans, uh, chapter 15, I think, where he talks about how he has preached the gospel with signs and wonders, and the power of the Spirit. Yeah. Okay, that sounds very Lucan. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so what you're saying is you do see these. Yeah, I, think, I think what I would see as far as the connectedness between these various authors is what might be a primary focus for one author is perhaps a secondary focus okay. in another author. Okay. And what might be a secondary focus for Luke becomes more preeminent yeah, in okay. another author. So they're, they're, they're touching on a lot. Because basically what's informing all of them to one degree or another is an Old Testament theology of the Spirit. So they're all kind of looking back. They're all trying to bring forward a a kind of, so the seeds of kind of a full-fledged pneumatology, you could say, are already there in the Old Testament. They're looking to these themes, metaphors, elements within the Old Testament record, and then in reinterpreting those in the light of what's now happened with the coming of the Messiah, with the coming of Christ, with the new covenant, with this, the breaking in of the kingdom, these kinds of things. So they're wanting to interpret, okay, the Old Testament, the, the spirit we're introduced to, in the Old Testament, how is that spirit now operating and in ways that are set in continuity with what's already been said about the spirit's work in the Old Testament, but in ways that are perhaps bring a newness to the spirit's activity as well. Okay, okay. So, so we're edging towards this final question. I think we're starting to uh, answer it. So let me allow you to speculate a little bit more. How, how did the New Testament writers know about the things of the Spirit. So the Old Testament writers, they know about God. Their theology derives from what God is doing, his great acts of deliverance, and what he says to them, Moses and the prophets. Mm -hmm. New Testament gospel writers, they know about Jesus because there were eyewitnesses who have recalled what he said and what he did. Mm -hmm. Okay, now, how do they know about the things of the Spirit. They can't see the Spirit in quite the same way as Jesus, of course. Are they hearing the Spirit's voice? Are they watching what's going on? Where where does New Testament pneumatology come from? Well, I think it it kind of builds again on the Old Testament pattern where God's Spirit is active both in mighty acts, as you mentioned, and also in words spoken. That's how God reveals himself, through deed and through word and so think of Paul when, when Paul says you know when we you know, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 when we first came to you it wasn't with word alone you know, this gospel message doesn't come in word alone but with these demonstrations of the spirit and he's talking there he's talking more about these these profound acts of what healing or whatever that mm-hmm. are a testament to the activity mm-hmm. of the spirit reinforcing that gospel message so on the one hand Someone like Paul sees that those same 
works, those same signs, those same miracles that were present in Jesus' ministry are also present in his own ministry. So he has this first-hand experience mm-hmm. of the power of the Spirit enforcing the message of good news um, or demonstrating the message of good news. And likewise, Paul's very familiar, obviously, with uh, the prophetic dimension of the Spirit. So he's, he himself prays in the Spirit. God reveals things to him. He functions prophetically. He knows of others who function prophetically. So they know of the presence of the Spirit because they see the signs of the Spirit in their midst and they hear the words of the Spirit proclaimed. Okay, so, so in the same way. Mm-hmm. It always strikes me whenever I read um, Paul's gift list, particularly just before somebody asked me to talk about the gifts of the Spirit, mm-hmm. that none of his gift lists match. There doesn't seem to be any catechism. No systematic theologian has pulled Paul aside and said, let's, let's get some categories here. Yeah. And it always strikes me that maybe Paul doesn't have a full list, that maybe they're still at a stage where they're still learning about the gifts of the Spirit. And so they haven't sort of closed them off, and he doesn't have clear categories. So, yeah, are, are they still learning as they go along? Well, I would say that that Paul realized that all of these things are tools um, that aid us towards Christian maturity. So the gifts are there to lead Christians to full formation in Christ. So they're functional in that sense. And I think intentionally Paul doesn't want to put any limits on what the Spirit might use to bring about that growth. So I think he would intentionally not want to have an exhaustive list because... Who would want to say what the, what the Spirit might not use tomorrow right. in order to edify or bring about growth in the community? Yeah, I like that answer very much. Well, the students are keen. They are ready to go. We should close this off so you can get back to, uh, back to lecture. Blaine, thank you. Thanks for your visit to Toronto, and uh, thanks for investing uh, some time with, with us in this Pentagon. Bless you. Thank you. Well, thank you for this opportunity. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of MCS Pentecasts, podcasts produced by Masters Pentecostal Seminary. MCS Pentecasts are available online at mcspentecasts.podbean.com and also through any podcast provider, including Spotify and iTunes. MCS offers biblical, theological, and practical courses from a Pentecostal perspective at both undergrad and graduate levels. For more information on graduate courses at Masters Pentecostal Seminary in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, visit mpseminary.com. For information on undergraduate courses at Masters College in Peterborough, Canada, please visit mcs.edu.